0: Amen. Welcome. My name is Greg. I'm the associate pastor here at Sunnyside. Before I hop into anything, first off, the ushers will be coming forward to collect the offering. And um, let's give out of how God has given to us. And as uh, we continue the service, we have a little video from Pastor Ken, who's our campus pastor. He's on sabbatical right now. He has a little video message for us right up on the screen. What's up church, Pastor Ken here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm having a great time on sabbatical, learning a lot about how we can grow as a church, how I can grow as a pastor. Today's gonna be an awesome day because you get to hear from Pastor Greg and you've got opportunities to sign up for life groups. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Let's make Jesus look good today. All right, so that's Pastor Ken. He's on sabbatical and that's good news for you because he's gonna be back in five weeks. The reason it's good news is because if you don't like my preaching, he'll be back in five weeks ready to go. So either way, it's a win-win for you. So <laughs> that's exciting. Anyway, um, as a church, we're going through the book of Esther, and uh, Pastor Dave talked about how—yeah, we can do offering. Go ahead and uh, come forward. Um, here we go. Offers coming in. So um, Pastor Dave talked about last week the context that the book of Esther uh, was written in, and it was the context of the Persian Empire over 2,000 years ago. And the Persian Empire uh, was huge. It was— stretched all the way to East India, went all the way west to modern-day Turkey, north up to modern-day Turkmenistan, and south to Pakistan. Now, if you're here and geography is not your strong suit, do not worry. As the missions guy who has a lot of maps for us during missions moment, I did not fail us. we got a map right here on the screen. This is what the Persian Empire looked like in the context of the story of Esther. Um, So Esther, for me, is actually a story that's really close, near and dear to my heart. Um, for those of you don 't know, I actually spent two years in the country of Afghanistan, and that wasn 't for the military it was not for for government or for any of any of those reasons. I was there with a team of people who are around my age to tell people about who Jesus was and We have some pictures scrolling through, and i won 't'll never forget this one moment where our team, a number of other people who were there for the same reason as us, were gathering together, just some long-term workers working, working to reach the nation of Afghanistan. And, and one guy stood up in the middle of that meeting and he declared a word over this nation. He said that God is going to raise up Esthers to change the nation of Afghanistan. Now, that was really powerful. And as I'm, seeing, I'm receiving that, I'm like, wow, that's going to be awesome. But in the moment, and then... Even now, five years um, has, you know, has passed. Looking back on that moment, um, you know, that, that hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And as we look at this, we look at the story of Esther, we see those themes happening in, um, in, the, in, the, in the story in particular that, that God has a plan for redemption. God has a plan to make things new. God has a plan to make things right. He has so many promises, but it hasn't happened yet. And real quick, before I continue, um, you notice Afghanistan is right in the heart of the Persian empire, where it used to be. And many people in Afghanistan, they relate and they actually call themselves Persian. There was a, a closeness there. And, and as I'm sitting here now, I, I still believe that God is going to redeem this country, that he's going to work, that he's going to bring people that we spoke to, that my teammates spoke to, to come to know Jesus and say yes to him for the first time. But once again, it hasn't happened yet. That's still at work. He's still moving. And how much do we relate to that in our own lives today? Where we're still waiting. We have the promises of God that he's going to bring things new. He's going to make all things new within us. He's going to redeem us. Maybe you're here today wondering, when is that going to happen? How, how am I going to make sense of what's going on around me when it's difficult, when it's hard? I have a word for you, and this is the word I want to give to you today. God has not forgotten you wherever you're at. In the moment you're going through the, the, the difficulty, the muddy situations where you're not sure what decision to make, how do I live as a person of God in this context, as we're going to read about Nestor in Esther a little bit, God has not forgotten you. He is at work. He's redeeming and moving in your life. He has a plan for you. And he's not forgotten you, and he is not done yet. All right, we're going to hop into Esther 2. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Esther 2, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to read it for us and go ahead and follow along. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, "Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king." We'll go back to verse one, by the way, um, and talk about that for a bit. We'll continue on first. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the pro- at the fortress of Susa. Hadri, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see. That they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. At that time there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shmi. His family had been among those who, like well, with King Jehochin of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. By King Nebuchadnezzar, this is a man. This man had a very beautiful and lovely cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his daughter. As a result of this, of the king's decree, Esther, along with many of the younger women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed her in Haggai's care. Haggai was very, very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with many beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day Mordecai would take a a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem, where the king's wives lived. There, she would be under the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, in, in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abihail, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin, Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai and the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken into King Xerxes at the royal palace in the early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the young women. He was delighted with her that he, he was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion he got he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young woman had been transferred to the second Aram and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's direction just as she did as she lived at home. So going into the story, it's important just real quick to talk about um, just the situation the characters are in. It talks about in verse 6 how the Jewish people had been taken um, into exile by the Babylonian people. They came in, conquered Israel, the people of God, took them from Jerusalem over to Babylon. And then there, the Persian Empire came in and actually conquered the Babylonians. Now this is the, the second culture where the Jewish people now have to figure out how do we live as people of God in this context that we're not used to? How do we live, in this new, how do we live as people of God here? And it's in this context, in this state, that King Xerxes calls for this empire-wide contest to find out who the next queen is going to be. And that contest is degrading, humiliating, dishonoring to women, oppressive? And the only reason it's happening is because Queen Vashti, who it references here, refused to submit to policies like this. She said no. Remember last week where there was this huge drunken party that King Xerxes throws calls his queen Vashti to come dance in front of the party and she says, no, I'm not going to be a spectacle for you. And she's ousted as queen because of this and now the king puts forth another practice, another decree that's dishonoring women just the same. So it's in this context that Mordecai and Esther are handed this, this situation. How now do we deal with being people of God with this? Where this decree is made, where all the women are called to come. It's an extremely difficult circumstance. It's muddy. It's messy. It's so hard to discern. It's like, what, what is going on? How do we deal with this? And it's so tough. But this is the theme that happens in the book of Esther. Remember, we have Esther too. Esther's existing, Mordecai's existing in this. We have actually. We're going that today, but we have the entire book of Esther. We see the end game. We see the redemption process that God is working. We know how the Lord is going to work. And that's the theme of Esther, that God, no matter how impossible the situation that his people are in, no matter how muddy or frustrating or difficult or hard it is, God promises this, I have not forgotten you, my people. I am at work, I am redeeming, I am working in you. That is the theme of what's happening. God is redeeming and making things new. But again, Esther is in this, Mordecai is in this, waiting, wondering, is that going to happen? And that theme and in that, again, if you're here today and going through something where it's just so muddy, where you've messed it up or wondering how God's going to redeem it, again, God has not forgotten you. And in the midst of whatever impossible situation that you're in, God is calling you to hold on to him. God calls us to hold on to him in the midst of our impossible situations. So right now, they're wrestling through how do we handle our nationality? How do we speak up? Do we speak up? Do we not? How do we handle being people of God? And it actually talks about in verse 12, I'll read it again for us, that there were 12 months... Of subscribed beauty treatments. So, this process is taking at least 12 months that we know of. It's likely a lot longer than that. This whole process is going on. So, this is a drawn out process that's happening. In the midst of that, they're discerning how do we handle this? Are we going to hold on to our identity in God? Are we going to hold on to who we are as a follower of God? Is God going to redeem? Maybe you ask that question as you're going through a muddy situation in your own life, as we face difficult and hard circumstances in our own culture. How do we hold on to God as followers of Christ when it's muddy, when it's frustrating, when it's difficult, when we feel the tension in our hearts, the draw that culture brings, but also how do we, oh, how do we follow the Lord in this? And then there's a situation where decrees happen and it's forced. How do we handle that? There was a situation that my teammates and I faced when we were in Afghanistan. And we were on our second year. Remember, two years. We were on our second year. We were hitting stride. We were were learning language. We were engaging with culture. We were connecting with people. We were enjoying our time. building so many relationships. But in the midst of that, our team started dealing with death threats. And now we had to wrestle with that how do we handle being followers of Christ with this? How do we hold on to our identity as followers of Christ? How do we treat one another in this? At first, our sending organization uh, was about to, they were considering removing us from that situation altogether. Just like, okay, maybe we just got to pull them out. There are all these other factors going into it. They may, maybe we just got to pull them out. But it ended up that, as we discerned it, we were able to stay. We just moved to a new city. But when we moved to that new city, we still experienced difficulties because now we're dealing with what happens after you go through a tense, an intense and traumatic situation like that. And there were tears. There is team conflict. There is hardship. And through all the hardship that we were facing and going through as a team, trying to bond, kind of to come together, and then also the idea that you know. We've been here for a year and a half and no one has made a decision to follow Christ yet. What are we even doing? I start to ask questions of myself. You with me, God? Did I make a mistake following you here? How am I supposed to to handle that? But in the midst of that, God's calling me and drawing me. Come close to me. Come into my presence. Spend time with me search for me. It may not be clear what the answer is right now, but as you're walking with me, I will guide you in what that looks like. In the midst of whatever impossible and muddy and frustrating situation we're going through, God is calling us to hold on to him, to take our difficulty and submit it to him and say, Lord, show me how to handle this. So that's my encouragement to you. Remember that God has not forgotten you, that his call in your life is to come to him, whatever you're struggling with. God has not forgotten you. Hold on to your Lord. Maybe you're here today, and you're going through a situation where things were muddy, things were difficult, what situation was in front of you, and (laughs) you heard God's call, and you're like, man, I just, I got this wrong It was so difficult and frustrating, but Lord, I messed it up. I knew how you were calling me, and I messed it up. Whether it be at work or a situation with your friends or in a dating relationship, you're wondering, man, I just, I messed this up so bad. How is it possible for you to redeem? How are you going to work in this? Maybe that's here. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're going through a situation where you're facing abuse, taking advantage of going through an experience like that wondering how in the world can God take a situation like that and all the emotions involved in that how can he still make me new how can he still redeem but as you go through that the lord is just calling us in every situation to hold on to the God, hold on to God hold on to the father He's calling us to come close to him. And remember that God has not forgotten you. Whatever situation you're in, whatever muddy context you're in, God has not forgotten you. He's calling you to hold on to him. There's a situation in the Gospels where something like this happened, where where God responded to someone who had sinned. In fact, that's happening a lot in the Gospels. (laughs) People are sinning and God just keeps forgiving. There's a moment where in Luke 7, where this woman walks into the presence of Jesus in this room of people, disciples, Pharisees, all that, she has, and she's described as an, an immoral woman. That's how the Gospel of Luke describes her. The people were describing her in this way. She takes this, this perfume, this expensive perfume, and cracks it and breaks it at the feet of Jesus and holds it, holds on to the feet of Jesus. She comes to him. And the people, that were in that room, were are saying, man, if Jesus knew who that woman was, man, <laughs> he would not let her touch his feet like that. But Jesus said, no. This woman's sins, though there are many, are forgiven. And that's the heart that God has for you. If you're going through whatever situation you're going through, where you feel like God may not be able to redeem, he's saying, come and hold on to me. I want to walk with you, forgive you, redeem you, and, and, and go before you as you're going forward. He's calling you to come into his presence and hold on. Whether you get it right or wrong, that's his call. Because ultimately he has a plan for your life. In the midst of an impossible situation, God calls you to have faith that he has a plan for you. Going through Esther again, uh, there are multiple situations in Esther where she was experiencing favor. And just a few of them here. Um... First, you experience favor with the eunuch uh, hajai. She was placed in it, uh, in the harem she was placed in. And I'm going to read this word for word from the, what the verse says. It literally says she was very imp- he was very impressed by Esther and treated her kindly. It says that he quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, espe- especially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidens into the best place of the harem. Later on, Haggai also gave Esther advice on how to best succeed throughout, his, throughout this process. At the end of verse 15, it says that she was admired by everyone that, who saw her, and after that was taken into the king. The king immediately uh, loved her more than any of the other women. So we get to see the end result of Esther chapter 2. We get to see the overall picture of how God brought redemption into this situation. But going through that, Esther didn't, Esther didn't know that. But as we look at it, we see God in the, moving in the background in the midst of what's hard and terrible, where sin exists in and around. God is in the background, and he's rigging the whole thing. He's at work, and he is though going through this frustrating process, going to take these circumstances, redeem them, and use the position she's being brought to to bring about good and amazing and wonderful plans, plans to save an entire people group. Oftentimes we find ourselves in that situation where it's not so obvious what, what God is doing in our lives, where we're, we're, we're kind of going through it and we're like, God, how are you at work here? I'm experiencing hurt in this area. I'm experiencing feeling unloved, taken advantage of in this area. I'm feeling so sinful in this. We're wondering, how, God, how are you going to work in this? But God is at work even in situations where we may not see it yet. And God calls you to come to him because he has a plan for your life, and it's good. And no matter where you are in that, no matter how messy it might be, God's calling you to say yes right now. There was once uh, a time where I was actually coming back from, um, from my time in Afghanistan. I was, you know, I was... Living in Reedley, California, the bustling city of twenty thousand people, right? <laughs> and I was a barista, and I was a uh, a finance uh, manager manager assistant finance manager for this nonprofit. Being a barista is a noble calling. I love coffee; it keeps us going. Right? I just, oh, yes, yeah. Great keeps going in the morning. I had a second cup of coffee after the, after the first sermon, so I was ready to go for this one. But anyway, um, as I was going through that, I was like, as I was in that situation, coming home from Afghanistan, thinking that God was calling me to the nations, even though it was tough, he was still going to call me back. I was wondering, why am I here in Reedley? And I wrestled with that so much. And my manager at the place I was a barista at even said, you know, Greg, I feel like you're called to to things not in this coffee shop. <laughs> I was like, I agree. Within a few weeks, I was, I was done. I actually uh, ended up getting more hours at another place. I wasn't fired. I have, thank goodness. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I'm going through that, and I'm applying all these organizations, trying to get back to the mission field. God, clearly you've called me to missions. I'm going to go back right now. Each time I experience closed door after closed door. God kept saying, no, you're going to stay right here. For now, you're going to stay right here. And eventually, my brother, who used to work here at Mountain View, Lawrence, you may know him, gives me a call. Have you ever considered interning at Mountain View? So I'm like, okay, I'll intern at Mountain View for a year, and then I'll go back to the mission field. After another year, goes by, Pastor Fred's like, hey, you should should join staff. I said, okay, I'll join staff for a year, then I'll go back to the mission field. And then finally, God brings me on as the associate pastor, and I'll get to preach this message to you. Hey! (laughs) But I was explaining this situation to a mentor of mine, and he looked at me and he said, it would be wrong of you to question how God has had his hand on your life till now. And when I heard that, that was powerful. Because when I was not sure what to do, it was hard, it was difficult. Granted, nothing compared to how difficult this situation that Esther was facing. But when I was questioning how God was at work behind the scenes, God was still moving. He brought me here together with you. God always brings us to the place he wants us to go as long as we come to him. And even if we mess it up, he's saying, come to me again. See how I'm going to take what you're in and redeem it and make it good and bring you to the place I want you to be still. So maybe you're here today, you're kind of getting lost in that muddy situation, like wondering, how is God going to make it? Give me a good plan in this. Again, my my word for you is God has not forgotten you. Even if you're lost in it, even if you're trying to figure it out, or you're in a situation where you haven't gone through abuse, where you have gone through such a ridiculously hard trial. God has not forgotten you and he has a plan to redeem what situation you're in and to lead you in such compassion and, and to lead you forward to where you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And maybe as you're trying to discover purpose, again, you've, you've fallen short in that area. You just feel like, man, I messed it up again. I was faced with a muddy situation I messed it up. Well, there's a character that I go to, Peter in the Gospels, who when he was walking around, he walking around, he, he was with Jesus, and it was actually Jesus' last moments. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And at this moment, Jesus is going to go to the cross for, for claiming to be the Son of God. So it wasn't popular to associate yourself with Jesus. But people start asking him as the whole um, scene of Jesus dying on the cross, as, as, as that's going down, people ask him, like, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? And he's like, no, no, that's not me. And then someone else comes by, no, no, I saw you. You were in the garden with him, I saw you. He's like, no, that's not me. Three times Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. But when he was left in the midst of that, you got to believe he was wondering, how is God going to redeem this? But then God doesn't leave him there. When Jesus comes back, when he raises from the dead, he takes Peter, redeems him, calls him into back and says, come back to me, come hold on to me, believe the plans I have for you. And now he fulfills the promise that Jesus gave to Peter, chapters before this, years before even, saying, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And we see that happening after this moment when God brings redemption. God has a plan for your life. And he wants you to come back no matter what muddy situation or difficulty you're going through, whether you've fallen short or whether you've gotten it right, God is calling you to hold on to him, trusting that his plans for you are good. And that promise is not just true for eternity, but it's also true right now for the situation you're in right now. For Esther, we're going to find out soon how God brought so much redemption and healing and How he poured out his love and how how he redeemed and, again, drew an entire people group and saved them. We're going to find that out very soon. It's possible. God is just calling you to take hold of him right now. And as we do this, we have an example to look to of someone who entered into our muddy situation and our difficult context where we were facing difficult circumstances, where we fell short, we may have sinned, but, but Jesus was not afraid to enter into our lives. He was not afraid to come into our cultural struggles where we weren't sure how to handle it. He came into it and where we got it wrong, Jesus got it right. And not only that, he made us right. So everything that, he, that we've done wrong, he took that upon himself on the cross. He died for our sins, and, and because of that, we are free to be in rela- Excuse me, relationship with him. And now he leads us forward and says, come to me, let me lead you in what this looks like. So now we have the, the hope is placed in him because he has taken our sin, because he has taken that penalty. We have hope in what he's accomplishing in us to make us more like him, to redeem us, to continue to work in us. From now all the way into eternity. There's a verse in Romans that says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to this purpose. I believe that verse happens now, but I believe that verse continues and finishes in heaven. When God makes all things new and right. So we have Jesus as our example. How do we handle the circumstances in our life? How do we hold on to the Lord? We have Jesus. Who held on perfectly. Who makes us new who cares for us when we've been through hardships. Who never leaves us where we are. He cares for us. And he restores us. He gives us a great plan for our lives. I once heard this quote. It says, if you want to know God's perfect plan for your life, ready for it? It's what it is. Do what you know. God wants you to do for the next 15 minutes. And God will take care of the rest. And what we know in the next 15 minutes it's right here. How did Jesus live in this life? How did he handle hardship and muddy circumstances? How did he live righteously? How did he come to the Father when he was having a hard time? We wrestle with him in the word. We bring our situations before the Lord and we ask him, Jesus, show me how you want me to handle this. Show me how you want me to live as your son, as your son lived. God will walk us through that process. We have Christ as our example to hold on to God, to trust that he's a wonderful plan for our lives. And whether we get it right or whether we get it wrong, he is there. He wants us to come to him and say yes. The good news is good news for the Christian, but also for the non-Christian, but also for the Christian. for The non-Christian to say yes for the first time and to enter into that relationship where there's so much love and favor in our lives where he redeems us, brings us back, but also for the Christian. Because when we get it wrong, the Father's arms are open wide saying, come back, I'll restore you, and I'll lead you, lead you forward. So we look to Christ, we reflect him, and we live for him in our situations. And in the midst of impossible situations, God calls us to make a difference. And we do so by holding on to God. God hasn't forgotten you. Whatever you're going through, he still loves you and is calling you to come back into his presence. To hold on to him no matter what you're going through. And culture pulls you one way or other people pull you, so hold on to the Lord. Amen. Let's stand and pray.